My guest today is a gym owner from New Jersey who refused to close his gym during the COVID lockdowns. He is now running for Congress in the third congressional district in in New Jersey. Very pleased to welcome Ian Smith. Ian, are you ready to roar? I'm ready to roar. Let's do it, man. Glad to be here. Fantastic. Yeah, glad to have you here, man. And, you know, I I, want to talk about everything that went on with the lockdowns in your gym and, of course, your congressional run. But I want to start by just getting to know you a little bit better. So you can start wherever you think it makes sense. I'm kind of curious how you ended up just owning a gym in the first place, how that became such a passion that you kind of centered your whole life and business around it. And then I am also kind of curious what your political thoughts were, if you were even political in any way prior to all this COVID stuff. Sure. So my name is Ian Smith. I'm one of the co-owners of the now infamous uh, Tillis Gym Belmar in New Jersey, otherwise known as Governor Murphy's favorite gym. Um, I have been a health enthusiast and something um, something of a fitness buff, I guess you could say, for quite a long time. It was something that saved me during a very, very dark time in my life um, where I didn't have a whole lot of direction. And um, health, wellness, exercise, fitness, eating well, the whole nine, the whole um, top to bottom, soup to nuts kind of uh, fitness world really saved me from a very dark path that I was heading down. Never had uh, a great appreciation for my body um, and the things that it was capable of, you know, and uh, I, I kind of always treated myself like crap for years and years and years. And um, a dramatic uh, or a traumatic sort of incident changed that for me. And I started really appreciating what you can do, uh, both with your body and your mind when you treat it right and give it the tools and, and resources that it needs to sort of flourish. And I got into fitness, um, for that reason. And it kind of, it, it, it sparked a passion in me that I wanted to share with other people. Um, like I said, it saved me from a very bad place. It made me a much better person. It taught me a lot. Uh, not only did it get me healthier physically, it got me um, I would say smarter and better in pretty much every sense of the word. And, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to share that with the world. I actually did about five and a half years in prison. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I got out when I was about 26 and, um, everybody kept telling me to get a real job, get a real job, get a real job, uh, go back to school and you know, all these things. Um, and that was the path I was on before I was on the path to get a nine to five. I was on the path to a a bachelor's degree uh, or a master's degree or whatever I was doing in college um, besides partying. And, um, you know, I just wanted to train people. just wanted to help people get strong. And that's what I did. And I, I worked in gyms for years, kind of every possible position you could do from cleaning the bathrooms and changing the trash all the way up to the assistant general manager of the flagship location of a 24-hour fitness in Arizona. And uh, one day somebody walked into my office there um, very briefly upon getting hired. And he was this guy in a suit from HR and he basically said, you're fired. Um, we don't, we don't want felons working for us, you know? And, and that was the, and it was pre-approved, but it came back sort of later from HR, um, that no matter how good I was at my job, that they didn't want, uh, they didn't want my kind, I guess, representing the company. So that was the last day I ever had a job. Um, I, I went out and started working for myself. I went back to personal training, which is what I truly loved. I didn't like the management side. I didn't love the sales side of, of fitness. I liked working hands-on with people changing their lives. And I, uh, I actually moved back from New Jersey or from Arizona back to my home state of New Jersey shortly thereafter. And I kind of hit the ground running. Um, I was dead broke at the time. 
uh, just walking away from a very failed and expensive marriage and uh, sort of licking my wounds and, and fitness was the only thing I really knew. And that was, that was my outlet for everything else. So that became my outlet um, and, and my life's work, you know, and, and I basically just put out at one point on social media, like, Hey guys, I'm back in Jersey. Anybody needs a trainer, hit me up, you know, I'll come to you. And I spent the better part of a year uh, driving around with a bunch of dumbbells and, and, and plastic kettlebells that I had bought from like a TJ Maxx kind of like clearance shelf um, all over the state of New Jersey, um, into New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware. It didn't matter where you were. I would come and train you, whether it was in your house, in a park, in a parking lot. I had like seven or eight gym memberships that I would just go to people's gyms and, and train them. Um, any business that I could get, I, I would not say no to it. It got to the point where I was I was driving around more than I was training because I was so busy. So I opened up a small fitness studio inside of my now partner, um, his existing store, which was a nutrition store. He had been in business for 25 years, um, had a very good reputation in, in the uh, in the community in general, but especially in the health and fitness space as a, a, a real expert. And he had some extra space in the back of his gym, so or excuse me, in the back of the studio. And I turned that into a a small fitness um, training center and really hit the ground run. And I became the busiest trainer in, in this area by probably a hundred mile radius. I was doing upwards of a hundred one hour sessions a week. Um, just kind of rock and roll and doing what I love, turning my life around um, and really dedicating myself to, to something bigger than, uh, than just Ian for once in my life. Cause that's really the story of my life heading forward. And um, I'm sorry, I just got to stop it. Did you say a hundred one hour sessions per week? Yeah, that was actually what I was averaging. That is incredible. I was, I was averaging, excuse me, I was, I was aver averaging about 94 um, one hour sessions a week over the course of, of a year. Um, you know, and it was, I wasn't charging a lot. I was getting the experience. I was building the book. I was building the reputation. You know, a lot of trainers start out and they're like $60 an hour. You know, like you're not worth $60. Dude, I was charging people $30 an hour. Uh, and I was I was getting the work done, and I was building this this huge network of people that that came to me for advice because I was doing the job, and um, and I learned that actually from uh, my now business partner was you know people uh, people will come back if it's good work, and um, and I I had a flourishing business, and one day Frank walked into the back uh, where I was training, and he asked me if I wanted to open a second Rock Bottom Nutrition, which is the name of his store inside this little gym about 20 minutes away called Attila's Gym. And I said, sure. Uh, so we went in as partners uh, in a, renting a small space in the store. And, and less than three weeks later, Frank walked back into the gym, or excuse me, back into the, the store and said, you want to buy Attila's? And I said, yes. Um, didn't have the money, didn't have, uh, I, you know, I had just kind of given all my money to this business. Um, and, you know, but I, I said, yeah. And it was 15,000 square foot facility where there was about a hundred people a day walking through. It was a dead gym that was about three months behind on all of its bills and it was ready to, to close. And Frank and I knew that we could make it work. Um, we knew that all it needed was a little bit of love and a little bit of culture and a good environment and that we could do something with this dumpster fire of a gym. And, uh, and we did, we bought the gym uh, a month and a half after we opened the, the nutrition store. And we took over at Attilus and we were successful from day one. We went from uh, less than 100 people a day coming through in a very sort of toxic environment. It was very, uh, it was very not friendly environment. Um, when people think of like worst fear of a gym, you know, like people who are, who are sort of timid and working out, 
they were thinking of what Attilus was like. It was it was not welcome to newcomers. It was not a place where women felt comfortable. Um, it was just a, a, a very uh, just a very shitty environment um, from a business standpoint. And uh, we turned that around. We kicked out that culture. We brought in our culture. And um, in in nine months, when COVID came around, we were doing about 250 people a day. Didn't spend a dollar on advertising. Every penny we made went right back into the business, and we had a successful operating business in, in no time. And then uh, then came the COVID lockdowns. Uh, so this was still relatively new um, as far as owning this particular business when this came in. I, yeah. I, I got to say, I think your story is such such a great example of how, you know, I, I have a lot of people that come to me and say, you know, how can I get started with this? And how can I get started with a side hustle? Uh, how can I build my own business? And there's not necessarily a magic solution sometimes. Sometimes you just have to go out and do the work. And in your case, I mean, you had nothing. You had hardly any money you're going to tj maxx buying these plastic kettlebells but you just put it out there and you you took you didn't say no to anybody and you just made it work and worked and worked and work until you actually became an owner of a gym i, I just think that's a, a phenomenal example for, for for anybody that asked me that question just listen to listen to ian's story and, and the answers are all in there um now we'll get to the covid stuff what were your first thoughts when you first started hearing about covid and at what point did you actually get that order that came down to close down your gym? Um, you know, so we started hearing about it probably about the same time everybody else did, you know, like late February. I remember I was actually on a, um, uh, a boys trip. It was a, a bachelor party to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We were skiing. And I remember like hearing whispers about it right before. And then I, I specifically remember sitting in the airport in Jackson Hole with a buddy of mine and uh, sort of waiting for a plane and watching the news. And the first case in California was reported. Um, and then by the time I had gotten home, there were more and there were more, and there was this ramping up and this sort of, you know, everybody kind of remembers that time where, you know, we were seeing like these obscure videos, you know, quote unquote from China where like people were just dropping dead in the streets. And we were like hearing just these, like this nonstop, like horror track. And, um, you know, we were, we were pretty skeptical of it. Um, by no means, uh, Am I do I consider myself a smart person? But I, I I have a hefty dose of skepticism towards pretty much anything that the media says. Um, I've kind of always been that way. Um, same thing goes for politicians. It's just you know I, I I think at a very early age I I sort of caught on to the BS. Um, you know I was a big fan of Ron Paul in my college years, um, and he kind of uh, just opened me up to the uh, very obvious reality when you when you look at it that. You know, most politicians are pieces of shit and, um, you know, they're, they're just, they, they don't have the best interests of the people in mind. They really don't. Um, so when we started hearing all this, you know, Frank, I were very skeptical, but of course you don't, you don't know a whole lot. There's this novel quote unquote coronavirus. And, you know, we, um, we were watching it and you were hearing the whispers of like martial law was going to take effect and all this like nonsense from around the world. And then we we heard you know from somebody that does work within the New Jersey government that shutdown was coming, um, and and to be honest, that's terrifying. You know, as, as two guys who put literally everything they had into this place. You know, I I, I put every penny I had um, and, and and stretched myself beyond um, you know what I was comfortable with because we knew that we were going to make this work. And the same thing goes for my business partner. You know, he's twenty years older than me or 15 years older than me, you know, he's 52 years old, he's got five kids, you know, and he went all in on himself too. So 
this was really unsettling. Somebody come along and be like, okay, well, we're just going to shut down businesses for 14 days. But, you know, we didn't know enough to confidently say, fuck off. Um, and, and the last thing that we wanted to do was to, was to hurt anybody, you know, it, and they were, they were painting this, this, this chaotic picture of, um, you know, the, this, this thing that was just going to kill everybody, you know, so we shut down, we were very, very unhappy about it, but, you know, quote unquote, the greater good. Um, and, and we shut down, but we stayed working. That was kind of what was different about us compared to a lot of people. I think people having a you know trust in the government said okay um i'll shut down and then they kind of like took it as a vacation you know it wasn't vacation for us we we were right back at work the next day we had tons of renovations that we had to do there was stuff to fix uh stuff to change you know whatever and we we got right to work but what we wanted to do was we wanted to understand what was shutting us down and who was shutting us down um so we paid attention to the science and we paid attention to the politics and very, very quickly, we just saw red flag after red flag. Uh, Frank is admittedly the smarter of the two of us. He's very, very, very science-minded. Um, the man's understanding of the human body and its relationship with the world around that, be that food supplements, bacteria, viruses, other health conditions. Uh, the environment is second to probably nobody. Um, he's probably one of the smartest people I know, actually, when it comes to that that type of information. And, and he was able to start looking into the research that wasn't being presented um, in the mainstream media. And, and very quickly, you know, we were, we were confident that this was not what we were being told. Um, couple that with the fact that we were watching the politics and the public health policy made no sense. You know, they were closing down small business, but big business was open as long as you wore a diaper on your face and, and, and used a Lysol wipe on your cart uh, and stood six feet apart and walked like one way up and down the aisle. This thing like wasn't going to kill you, but you know at the same time they were broadcasting how many people were dying, and you know we're out and about in the world and and we're watching the news telling us that like everybody's dying from this, but like right. when you go to Walmart, everybody's okay, and it just wasn't wasn't adding up to us. So uh, on day three, we pretty much made the decision that we were going to reopen. Um, I think I think we definitively definitively made it on day eleven when they passed the economic stimulus bill to the tune of $2.6 trillion, the single biggest spending bill that the uh, United States has ever produced. And I'm pretty sure that's probably the biggest spending bill that anybody has ever produced uh, in terms of government spending. And we looked into it, you know, it was a thousand pages long and we knew that nobody read it, um, but we, we, we read through it and there was some crazy stuff in there, you know, let alone the fact that they were incentivizing people to stay home with an extra $600 a week. There was all sorts of other stuff in there. You know, we know about the hospital incentivizations where they were paying hospitals and extra thousands of dollars to label things COVID cases. But what they were also doing is the federal government was handing money to the states individually for positive PCR tests. Um, and that's something a lot of people didn't know. And that is where this whole idea of asymptomatic, you need to go get tested comes from. You know, before, before coronavirus, asymptomatic is another word for not sick. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's the reality. You know, like if you went to the doctor and said, I think I have diabetes. He said, well, what are your symptoms? And you said, I don't have any. He'd tell you right. to get lost, you know, but all, all of a sudden, you know, you can, you can be carrying these things and, and transmit and none of it made any sense. Like even to somebody who I'm, I'm, I think I'm a, pr a pretty average intelligence, um, just wasn't making a lot of sense. So we kept digging, kept digging. And what we found out was 
The PCR tests were absolutely bogus, that they were never meant to be a diagnostic tool, that they are meant and designed for research purposes only. That's two very separate uses. We learned about how the PCR tests work. Um, and for anybody who's not familiar, um, a really simple example is use the idea of dollar bills, right? So a PCR test, what it does is for research purposes, it gives you more material than what you actually have. So they use it when they're, when they're looking at cancer cells and things like that, that can't really be studied as they're rapidly expanding because that's usually when your subject dies, but they can take one or two cancer cells and they run it through what's called cycles. Um, and it's a poly polymerase chain reaction, what it's called. Um, and that takes whatever you're studying, which in this case was an RNA molecule, a protein molecule, uh, that was found in your nose, uh, which is which is the equivalent of testing your doormat for dirt and and coming to right. the conclusion that your house is dirt. Um, right. it, it's just it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous science. Um, just because something's in your nasal cavity does not mean that there's an active virus replicating in your body. But that's neither here nor there. So what happens is you take one, and when you run it through a cycle, one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes. Eight, eight becomes 16, 16 becomes 32, and so on. And they were running these high-cycle PCR tests at 40 cycles. Um, and, and if you could guess, because nobody's ever even been remotely close, but if you could guess, what do you think the final result is after running something 40 cycles? A lot of positives of people that aren't sick. 1.9 trillion. So you take wow, one molecule and you run it. You, 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 1.9 trillion. It's so it's basically two to the 40th power, um, which is, and, and that's why a can of Coke tested positive. That's why you could be mm -hmm. totally not sick and test positive. And they based the entire emergency, all of the shutdowns, all of the restrictions, everything off of these false numbers. And once we figured that out, it was screw this. We're opening. We're not going to lose our business over this. We're not going to lose our freedoms. We're not going to watch other people lose their freedoms and their rights and, and, and the things that they've worked hard for while all these assholes get rich. And that was, that was it for us. And then we, we opened the doors. Hey gang. Well, speaking of opening doors, you too can open the doors. You can open the doors. You can unlock the paywalls that we have over at patreon.com slash lions of Liberty, or alternatively at locals at lions of Either way, you'll get access to all of our bonus content, including live streams of most of these interviews that I do, including early access to a lot of shows, like our very fun review of the filmed Grizzly Man that dropped this past weekend. Patrons had early access to that, and they got a little bonus story that most of you didn't get at all. But more importantly, really, by supporting Lions of Liberty on any of our platforms, you really do help us grow. We're hoping to get back to some in-person events this year looking at pork fest looking at freedom fest and the more resources we have to do so the more we are able well to do so <laughs> i guess you could say uh so we really do appreciate this show has always been funded largely by the listeners we occasionally have sponsors like you'll hear later today our friends at paloma verde but by and large the show has always been mostly funded uh by you guys by the people that support what we're doing so if you like what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. If you like my new direction, the best way to support all of that is at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or Lions of Liberty .com. How vocal were you about your opposition to the lockdowns? Did you did you make a huge kind of kerfuffle about screw you guys we're opening or did you just kind of start go go about your business, open things up and see how things played out from well, there? You know, once we made the decision to open, we, we took an additional six weeks to open. Because 
we wanted to be covered on all bases. Um, you know, we were confident that this wasn't what they said it was, but we still didn't want to open our doors and kind of like middle finger to everybody else. You know, it was still about keeping people healthy. So we said, okay, let's look around. And we studied, we studied what the CDC was saying. We studied what the WHO was saying. We studied everything that we could possibly find on pubmed.gov, which is just a, a wealth of research. Uh, we looked at what healthcare facilities were doing. We looked at what big business was required to do. We looked at um, government propositions about how to mitigate this stuff. And we just kept studying. And we put together a 15-point safety protocol that went just ridiculously beyond what what Big Box was required to do. Like, you know, if you remember, they, they had um, social distancing, they had mask wearing, and they had Lysol wipes. Um, I think they were taking temperatures for like 30 seconds before everybody stopped doing that. They still do it here in Mexico at every every store I go into. I, anybody, any big box store, I still get my temperature taken down here. Yeah. So we, we looked at all that and we said, okay, we'll do all that and we'll do this, 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 and this. We spread out every piece of equipment in the gym so that it was six feet apart. We put markings on the ground so that in the free space, people would know where they were at. Um, we had a spray bottle for every single person who walked in the door. Um, with a hydrogen-based, uh, hydrogen peroxide-based cleaner, wow, which was fully safe to be used around humans and to be used in large quantities. Um, and it killed coronavirus on surfaces in like less than three seconds. We brought in new air filters in our HVAC system. We brought in air purifiers that were specifically designed to scrub the air of viruses and bacteria. Again, using water vapor um, that, uh, that basically uh, splits water into OH molecules, again, peroxide molecules. Um, we were circulating 32,000 cubic square feet of air uh, every 30 minutes in the gym. Nobody in the country did that. Um, we, we had capacity restrictions at first. We had all sorts of other things. Each person had their own spray bottle. There was uh, hourly cleanings going around, or excuse me, uh, two, every two hours we would go around and we would deep clean the gym. We'd just kind of pause it real quick and just everybody would go and clean it. You name it, we did it. Uh, we even put our own contact tracing system in place. We were taking temperatures. We had people answering questionnaires. Uh, had they been in contact, this, that. Uh, we knew who was in the gym, when they were there, and we had a track record of it all the way through. And we made the announcement that we were going to open one week before, and that was seven weeks into the lockdown. And we, you know, I just basically came on uh, Instagram and, and just said, hey, you know, um, Frank and I have made the decision that, you know, we're going to open. And it was a nine minute speech I gave. I think I wrote it like 40 times before I came to a, a final draft. And it was basically the who, what, and why um, we were doing this and how we were going to do it, and how we we're going to keep people safe. Um, and, and because it wasn't, it wasn't about defiance at that point. It was about government was telling us that there was a problem, but they weren't coming to any sort of solution. They weren't offering any aid. Uh, what they were offering was bogus. It was a lie all the way through. They said they would be there, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they weren't in typical government fashion. And, um, you know, we said, okay, if you can't figure it out, we did. And here's our plan. And anybody who wants to open, whether it's a church, whether it's a business, whether it's a school, whether it's any other public place, you know, you can, you can copy our plan and you can open and you can also keep people safe. Um, and that caught the attention of Tucker Carlson on Fox News. And he had me in the next day and we talked about it in front of millions of people. Uh, I think he's got like 9 million viewers on a daily basis or something like that. And I announced to 9 million people that we were going to reopen our gym. And I think it was really just right message, right time. People are sick of it already. Um, at least the early adopters of, of COVID uh, resistance were sick of it. And 
one week later, we opened our doors to um, several hundred people out in the parking lot, every major news outlet covering it, the police, uh, you name it, everybody was there. And that kind of kicked off the, uh, the two-year shit show that we've been in ever since. Right. So I, I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about your congressional race, but but real quick, uh, did you face like the, I know you faced all sorts of fines and all sorts of legal stuff you're dealing with, but did anyone ever try to come and physically shut down your business this whole time? No, not really. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't want to shut you down <laughs> if I was in a tiny, you know, skinny health inspector. <laughs> Everything they did was sort of half-assed um, or maybe it wasn't half-assed. Maybe we just really didn't give a shit. <laughs> You know, the cops came and on day one, they handed us citations and we, we took them in front of the media and held them up and thumbs up and said, see you guys tomorrow, I guess. And and, and the gym stayed open. Um, and then the next day they were citing our customers and our customers were doing the same things. They were, they were taking their citations and saying, cool, bro, we'll see you fucking later. You know, we'll be back because um, people were that serious about it. People had had enough and that this, this was their opportunity to physically be somewhere where they, quote unquote, weren't supposed to be and it was their way of standing up to this bs um and it just escalated we had a health department shut down on the third day uh they came in the middle of the night and just kind of slapped a, a shutdown order on the door so we, we ignored it we just actually left it there and just opened the door and said jim's open um and that was that was the plan all the way through the plan was simple is we don't know what these people are going to try to do but we know what we're going to do we're going to open the gym every day no matter what and frank and i made a promise to our, uh to one another and we've always kind of worked we have a very interesting relationship and it's just you do what you say you're going to do and that's it you know and we've had we've had a tremendous amount of trust from from the first time i walked in you know when i walked into rock bottom nutrition five six years ago at this point and asked him if i could rent out the back studio he pulled the key off his earring and said this is how i feed my family don't fuck and that was it you know that was that that was our agreement so it's always been we've always been on the same page and, and when we opened it was we're going to open this gym every single day no matter what these idiots try to do. Uh, um, so health department shut down, we ignored it. They changed locks on us. Um, they came in, in the middle of the night and they, they changed the locks on the doors. Uh, we just broke in and started pulling the equipment outside. Changed your own uh, locks? Changed our own locks, yeah. So we just, we just <laughs> changed the locks again and, and went right back to it. Um, started pulling equipment out in the parking lot. We were trying to play nice for a little while and say, okay, now we have a lawsuit against you for, for changing our locks. You know, we'll, we'll, we were pulling 40,000 pounds worth of equipment outside every single day. Um, and, and eventually we said, screw this, you know, because the courts are corrupt and they weren't helping us. They were just, nobody, wa- nobody, no judge and no lawyer wanted to like fuck the system. They were, everybody's, you know, co- so concerned about their image and the future, you know, so, so we said, screw this. We went back inside. We started getting fined $15,000 every single day that we were in business. Uh, they seized money from our bank account. They seized $173,000 from our bank account. Still haven't charged a member actually since the shutdown. It's been almost two years. Actually, it's been two years yesterday was our last day and we haven't charged a member since. Um, it was all donations. It was all t-shirt sales and stuff like that. Um, they took $173,000 from us. They revoked our business license. Um, they arrested us after uh, they came to lock the doors again. So we took the doors right off the hinges and just stayed open for 24 hours. We, we stayed in the gym for 47 days. Uh, for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we we slept there. Um, I mean, my dog was there, like my family was there, we, and that was we weren't going anywhere. Uh, they arrested us. They they boarded they boarded the doors up after they arrested us, and we we came back and we kicked them in and we turned lights back on and we've been open ever since. 
Um, they tried to lock us up. They've, they've done pretty much everything they possibly could. But the reality was, is we were closing the gym, you know, and I, it, it's two years later and they're finally starting to give up because I guess they, they finally realized that like we, we were serious about this. It, it wasn't, and it was never about a gym. You know, it was, it was about the principle. You're not going to walk into my life and tell me that I can't feed my family. You're not going to walk into my life and tell me that I can't leave my house. You're not going to walk into my life and tell me that I can't go to work. You know, that's just not going to happen. And, you know, it worked. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you know what else works? What do you think of these transitions today, by the way? Are these working? What else works is the incredible CBD products from our friends, Carlos and Vanessa Abelar at Paloma Verde. You can find them at palomaverdecbd.com. These are two wonderful people, Liberty lovers. I've been on Carlos's show too, Los Libertinos. Check that out as well. But these guys are a, uh, you know, a small family business that are providing an excellent product. So isn't that something you don't want to support? And let me tell you about CBD. If you're working out of the gym, if you're anything like Ian, working that hard, my God, you probably have some aches some pains, some sore muscles, some knots and that sort of thing. Man, I get this terrible knot in my, uh, my upper right shoulder. And the CBD salves, like nothing helps this thing. Like nothing helps this thing. The CBD salves actually from Pomoloma Verde actually did calm it down. And boy, eat a couple of those gummies. The gummies are freaking delicious. They're almost too delicious would be my only my only criticism. The gummies are too so delicious that you almost just want to sit there and eat the whole thing. And you really shouldn't do that. Although you would be okay because the great thing about CBD, it, it does not knock you out. It doesn't really make you loopy or anything like that. Uh, it is the non-psychoactive portion of the marijuana plant. So you're not going to get high or anything like that, but it is going to help with inflammation, uh, helps you relax a little bit, helps with stress. So I highly recommend checking out palomaverdecbd.com, not just because they're a sponsor of the show, but also because we have a tremendous discount for you, a 20% off discount and free shipping for any order over $75. All you got to do, put some delicious products. They might not all be delicious. Sometimes some of them just go on your skin. You know, um, you order some great products, some great CBD products from palomaverdecbd.com, put in your discount code ROAR, R-O-A-R, ROAR, and get 20% off that order plus free shipping. So head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Do not forget that discount code ROAR at checkout. That's incredible, Ian. And uh, we we have just a couple of minutes left, so I want to make sure you can touch on your congressional campaign. So get into that in whatever way you like. What inspires you to take this whole experience and and actually run for Congress and and what kind of layout what your campaign entails? Sure. Um, So after, not after, during all of this, I became, uh, I guess, a bit of a public figure. It was tons of requests coming in for, for our help uh, with other causes or related causes. And a lot of them would be me coming and, and speaking and kind of just telling the story and inspiring others and teaching people how, it, how it's done in terms of resisting government oppression. Uh, so I, I had the opportunity to speak for a year and a half now all over the country. I've spoken in front of several hundred thousand people at this point. I've spoken everywhere from New Jersey to the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, to California, uh, to in front of hundreds of thousands of people in D.C. after the election. Uh, and I've, I've been telling people that the way that we take control back um, to some sort of life that resembles the one that, that most of us are used to is that we need to start getting career politicians out of, of office and, and regular people need to start filling these spots. Um, 
we didn't get here overnight. We got here by electing these idiots over and over again. And we have a cultural problem where we only pay attention to politics during the election season. And mm-hmm. um, we we go to the ballot box and we, you know, we choose our guy or our girl, you know, from our team. And we just assume that that person is going to do the right thing. And nine times out of 10 that they're not acting in your interest, they're acting in their own interest. So it's a, it's a, it's a problem. You know, you can't have people who make careers out of politics. It was never, ever, ever meant to be that way. Um, it's a service to the community. It's a service uh, to the country. It is not a lucrative career. It is not something you should be spending 40, 50 years doing like some of these dinosaurs do. Um, you know, it's, it's, you're supposed to be doing the right thing. And um, when you're worried about reelection, when you're constantly posturing, uh, for the next move and you're towing the party line and you're staying faithful to your donors and people that you owe favors to, you're not able to act in the moment in the best interest of the public. And I've just watched this happen over and over again and been telling people that they need to run for office. And, and one, one, one day, about two months ago, I decided to stop being a hypocrite and, um, and show people that it can be done, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of reasons. There's two major reasons why people don't go into office. Um, a, uh, they can't get in. It's just hard. You know, the average man or woman who wants to run for office, unless they have a very, very deep bank account or some some connections, it's not likely that they're going to get elected. Um, that's just the way it works. The game's sort of rigged. Uh, you have to kiss the ring of the GOP or the DNC. Um, and if you don't, your likelihood of success is very slim. Um, and, but also I think people just don't want to do it because they're like, fucking politics sucks. Like it's, it's not fun. It's, there's, there's a bunch of really nasty people who, who fill the political world. And, and a lot of people are like, eh, I, I don't want to do that job. Um, cause it's, if you do the job right, it's, it's hard. It's very hard work. Um, granted you do get paid for it, but it's, um, it's, 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 it's tough. You know, if you're doing things the right way, it's not easy. So. You know, I decided I'm going to run, and um, I I remember asking myself who my congressman was, and I realized that I'd lived in this this state for most of my life, and and I currently didn't know who my congressman was. And I'm, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking, how do I not know who my congressman was? And I looked him up, and it's because he's a nobody who does nothing. You know, he's just this <laughs> squirrely. He's just this squirrely little dude who doesn't really say much or do much, but he's a consistent vote for these same people who screw us over right. with these really bad policies, you know? And it's like, I can't let this guy get into office again because he's just another vote. And they, they, they have him in there by design. He's not, he's nobody to make any waves. He's not super impressive, but he's also not intimidating. So people put him in there and they assume he's just going to do the right thing. But when you look at his voting record, it's absolutely atrocious. Um, this is somebody who's supported the defund police movement. He's supported all these radical uh, leftist policies that are now blowing up in our face left right here in america so i said uh i'm gonna run for congress and i'm gonna do it the right way and i'm not gonna change who i am at all um i'm gonna run on some really basic principles uh i'm gonna try to restore as much common sense to politics as i possibly can because i think it's intentionally overcomplicated i don't think it needs to be it's politics is pretty simple do the right thing um, do the right thing, act in the best interest of the people that you have been uh, given the honor to serve. 
And if you if you approach it like that, I don't I don't think it's very it's a very challenging uh, task to do the right thing. So it shouldn't uh, be. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. It no. It shouldn't be. You know, it, it's they complicate it on purpose because they don't want you involved and they don't want you understanding the process. But the reality is, is my platform can be summed up in two words, and it's it's something that a lot of people hear, but I have a different approach to it, and it's America first. Um, and that doesn't mean like MAGA Trump diehard. That doesn't mean uh, I'm 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 strictly going to vote you know Republican down on the line. That means America first is the lens in which you look at all other policy through. If you're a politician who is a representative um, in the United States of America, everything that you do should be in the best interest of American citizens, first and foremost. And we have this really bad habit in America of taking care of and policing the rest of the world. Meanwhile, we're at home just kind of falling apart. You know, and and look at any any policy through that lens. You, know, you want to talk about uh, border security? All right, slap that America first lens on it, and look at look at the problem. We have a major border issue in the southern in the southern you know on the southern border. You know what's happening? We're having people who we don't know led into this country. We don't know who's here. We don't know how many are here. We don't know what they're doing here. Um, and that can it doesn't always. You know, some of these people just just want to get out of Mexico or wherever they're at. And they, they, they might be great people and, and really work hard. Uh, some of them are assholes and we don't want the assholes. And, and, you know, that's why we have a legal process for immigration. And is it perfect? But no, but you can deal with that. Um, you can't have these people just coming across the border. It's, it's destroying the integrity of our, of our nation. You, you can't have a sovereign country that doesn't protect borders. It doesn't make any sense. And we can't afford to take care of people in the way that we do, uh, you know, these, these these politicians are so quick to just print up money. You know, here, here, here is they were giving they were giving out twelve hundred dollar gift cards at the border to people that they were catching and releasing. I mean, the, these policies are just insane. Like it 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 doesn't <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that that is a really shitty idea. Um, you have America. Americans who are citizens here, who are pay taxes, uh, who were born here, and who deserve um, help, and and you let inner cities like Chicago and Philadelphia and Camden rot, but you're just handing out gift cards at the border. Like where where are your priorities? Um, again, drug flow coming through the border. Fentanyl is the number one killer right now of of young people between the ages of I think eighteen and thirty five or eighteen forty. Um, you drive through any city, you know, we're, we're right next to Philadelphia and Camden here. And if you drive through Philadelphia, the city looks like a zombie apocalypse has taken place. There's people everywhere that are high, just walking around. It's there's a homeless, all these problems are, are caused by not putting Americans first. Um, so you just run down the list and you want you want to talk about, uh, our, our fiscal responsibility, need to put Americans first, stop sending money to everywhere else in the world. We just spent, I think it was, what, what did we spend? $15 billion uh, to send money to, excuse me, to, to Ukraine. But they wouldn't allocate $4 billion to finish the border wall. Um, uh, another statistic that somebody put out, uh, they sent $15 billion over to Ukraine. They closed over 100,000 restaurants during the COVID lockdowns, and they gave these people nothing. You could take that $15 billion that you were so quick. 
to, to just write a check for and send over to Ukraine. And you could have given that to that 100,000 restaurants. That would have been $150,000 piece. You could have saved how many restaurants? What sort of economic damage could you have prevented if you would just put Americans first? Um, and then all the rest is obvious. You know, it, like I said, just apply that America first uh, common sense logic right over top of the policy and you'll have our entire platform. It's not complicated. We're just looking to make America a better place um, before we turn our attention to the world and try to make the world a better place. We can't, we can't be the strongest, uh, greatest freest nation if we're falling apart from the inside. Well, Ian, I, I know you got to run. Uh, before I let you go, just real quick, just let everybody know where they can find out more about your campaign, how they can contribute, how they can reach out to you. Sure. Follow along on social media. I am Ian Smith Fitness. That's on everything. Instagram, Twitter, True Social, you name it. I'm, I'm pretty much spread across all platforms. Um, as for campaign stuff goes, you'll find updates there. Um, but on the website, we have our, our basic platform lined out, information on how to get involved. If you want to donate to the campaign, it's all there. We will have some, some merchandise up. We'll have event listings. Um, all that type of stuff will be up there as we build out the website. And that's iansmithforcongress.com. That's all spelled out. No numbers. All right, Ian Smith, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And keep up great work. And uh, best of luck with your run. Really excited to see where that goes. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, kiddies. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ian Smith, a man of action. And uh, for the, those of you watching the video, like I said earlier, man, if I was some health inspector, I, you know, the law can say what it is. The governor can say what they want. I am not telling that guy to shut his gym down. And, you know, there's just something really powerful about just saying no. Who knows if it's if it's going to, you know, if the police are going to crack down, who knows if they're going to throw him in jail. Consequences be damned. He just stood up and said no. And when enough people stand up and say no to something, well, you can actually be effective in stopping. And we need a lot more people, a lot more people saying no, just saying no, whether it's to vaccine mandates, whether it's to shutting down businesses, whatever it may be. When our rights are be being violated so blatantly, so flagrantly, at some point, it is time to just say no and just stop complying. And that needs to be one of the lessons, at least, of the last couple of years here, all right? There are so many temptations, so many reasons you can tell yourself to comply now just to get by. Shut your gym. I mean, look, even Ian shut his gym down for a little while when they were trying to figure out what was going on, and they, you know, they decided to take the time to fix some things. But when it was time to open, it was time to open and nobody was going to keep them closed. So make your own decisions. Of course, if, if a mandate, if something that's mandated is something you would want to do anyway, well, then that might make sense to do it for that reason. But if something is mandated and it goes against your core beliefs, it goes against your spirit, your principles, whatever it may be, it's time to just say no. And I hope People like Ian can expire you guys. And I love that people like him, because those are the real pillars of the community, all right? It's not these politicians who just get by just on being politicians, who have nothing else to offer except coming in and knowing the right people and writing regulations or whatever. The real pillars of the community are people like Ian Smith, people who stand up, people who are actual leaders, people who inspire not just by their words, by their actions, my God. And I mean, forget even this, this recent stuff. Just I, I think we can learn so much just from the way Ian built up his business. He had nothing left and put everything, every single ounce of energy he had 
into providing a service for people, which eventually led him to where he is now. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. That's why I wanted to bring Ian on today. Wish him the best of luck with this congressional campaign. Maybe you can support him. Again, if you want to support us, you can do so supporting our sponsors, Paloma Verde CBD. You can also support us at patreon.com slash lionsliberty for early access to shows like this, bonus shows like Conspiracy Corner, the Grizzly Man review show we did for Maurice. Maurice, you know, is a $50 a month litany patron, which means he gets to produce an episode of this show. That's what we did last weekend. Degenerate Gamblers should be making a comeback fairly soon. So much bonus content behind these paywalls. Patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or locals, lionsofliberty.locals.com. Please, if you haven't already, leave us a five-star rating and a great review on the Lions of Liberty Network feed and on my own feed, Lions of Liberty with Mark Clare, where you find this individual show and some other interviews occasionally. I'll be sharing a few coming up uh, that I had that I, I really enjoyed recently. I'll be sharing a few of those interviews in that feed as well. So please subscribe to that one. Even if you don't subscribe to that one because you, you love the network, you love everybody on the, on the network, that's great. But if you could head over to there, just take two minutes out of your day, type Lions of Liberty, Mark Clare, leave that, that, that uh, feed a five-star rating and a great review. It'll be a big help to me. Also, check out my Substack, markclare.substack.com. Don't forget, I also co-host the Second Print Comics podcast with my friend Remzo Martinez. So if you are, if you like the sound of my voice, because <laughs> you've been listening to it for 45 minutes or so, and you like comics or you're into that nerdy stuff, you might want to check that out as well. That's all I got. Until next week, my friends. Live long! And live free. 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 And live free.